our <clears throat> weekend comes to a close. It goes fast every time. I'm surprised still. Um, where from now? I think is a good question. Where to go with this practice? Where to go with the tools? Let me see whether I can string a few thoughts together on this. I think it's crucial that you know the choice is in your hands. You can choose how important this is to you and how real this becomes in your life. If you want to make this real, then it means you will have to do something more so. You will have to give up something. Our lives are full every decision in favor of something means countless decisions uh, of renunciation countless no's for one yes so if you sense that this is of use to you that it helps you instill you with a greater depth in your life and a greater appreciation for um, what is possible in this life then you will have to question your priorities. Um, that's unpleasant. That's uncomfortable. That sounds like difficult. I think I've mentioned it. If it is important, it will have to fit into your 24 hours. Somewhere in there. It needs to be in there somewhere. Yeah. Sitting with yourself in the space of not knowing. Sitting with yourself... Uh, outside of the pressure and the practical constraints of your of the rest of your life, sitting with yourself in a space where you ask, how do I relate to the big questions? How does this experience here relate to that which is big, that which is connected with meaning and purpose and sense? This is not an easy question. Yeah. This is not an easy practice just to be straight with you. You will always be in a minority uh, and you will always have to juggle that with uh, demands on you from other sides. Very reasonable, plausible, legitimate demands on you. But I think it has to be clear that no degree of efficiency however good you get at the things you consider to be your life, no amount of doing this better than what you already do is, if it hasn't made you enlightened yet, is going to make you enlightened. If it hasn't made you free yet, if it hasn't made you happy yet, is going to make you free or happy. This has to think to be clear. The freedom that lies at the heart of Buddha's vision for, for human beings is not something that can be improved by optimizing our current mode of being. There is something of a different scale, a different league in which this happens. So if you wait for the moment when you find time 
to meditate, to, to inquire what lies in your heart, where your motivation comes from, or what keeps your habits going, or if you wait for an opportune moment for this, it will not come. Yeah. You have to be clear. It is only upon that clarity that you will be radical enough to make the space in your life. If you put in meditation, something else will fall out. Now, it's that simple. It'll cost you something. Not just a retreat to two a year or a donation for a kinchen or a Gaia house. Or it will cost you some shifting in your priorities. If your day is full already as it is, as most people's days are, then putting in meditation means something else will fall out. And... <clears throat> Meditation will not happen unless you're prepared to make such a decision. I'm trying to put this in the most unpleasant way possible, just to to not be uh, kind of swindling, okay? Often it doesn't feel that dramatic. Uh, once you have found this to be of value and it has found a space, it doesn't need to compete anymore. But we were... You have to understand, samsara does not end. You know, it is endless. I cannot recall past lives, so I cannot say from personal experience, sort of in a sort of cosmological scale, in the round of rebirth. But the psychological sphere, I know quite well. The sort of samsara experience I have from a psychological perspective is, um, it's actually it's ample for me. I would I would say it's ample. I wouldn't need an intensification of that experience. That is endless enough. I know I cannot hope to finish it before I start taking meditation or waking up serious. There is no elegant way of getting this practice into your life. So adapting spiritual practice to your everyday life so that it doesn't disrupt your everyday life it's not to be integrated in your everyday life just to be blunt you know? that's not its point its point is to change your everyday life and you do not integrate spiritual practice in your everyday life if you want to be free and happy then awakened and your everyday life hasn't led to that result yet I do not see any logical purpose to integrate spiritual practice in your everyday life and uh, subordinate it to the practical constraints of your everyday life. It's not how it seems to work. If this is precious, it's going to alter some of your life and you have to not just be willing, grudgingly, to uh, tolerate that, but you actually have to actively embrace <laughs> Such a change or such an alteration. Ask what you are willing to, to give up. To give up so that you have the time to meditate. To be with yourself. To check in with what's real, what's touching you. To connect with the deepest, most level in your experience. Go and stand in the space where you don't know 
how to fix life, where the demands seem to be bigger than the available resources, where the challenges seem to be faster than you would like them to come at you, where time seems to be running short. You will have to be prepared to put things down, some things temporarily, some things probably for a long time, just to be prepared to let go, to stop, to discontinue. Much about Buddhist teaching can sound like kind of soft, gentle, meandering flow of impermanence, you know, changes, seasonal changes, titles, wonderful, gradual, meandering movements. This is not my experience of impermanence. There is something ruptured, something stark, something sudden. Uh, Often impermanence isn't just like the change of seasons, you know. Some things do not change for a long time and with a sudden jolt they kind of crumble. Some things uh, keep crumbling right from beginning. Be prepared to live with the not perfect. Be prepared to leave things unfinished. To be able to practice means you are willing to leave things unfinished and say, this is as much as can be achieved right now. What can be done right now has been done. Now something else comes. You see, there is, I don't know how it is for you, but for me, and this may say something about myself, uh, there is never enough. There is never enough time. I'm doing retreats for a long time and I ever have the same feeling, namely there isn't enough time. I wish it was longer. I wish this could fit in. I wish now they're kind of warmed up. They're here, you know, now they... And it's kind of, it has to end. Yeah, it's unfinished. So be prepared to to live with that. Forgot who it was, said, to be living is to be unfinished. And it it asks that we reconcile with this experience rather than begrudge ourselves or begrudge the situations. Reconcile. Reconcile with impermanence. Reconcile with conditionality. Reconcile with that we don't really own the things that make up our lives. I think there has to be a deep, and I mean that quite theoretically, a deep theoretical acknowledgement that this is the truth, that this is one aspect of truth in our lives. That there is a perfection that doesn't hinge on a perfect finish. There is a perfection in unfinished bits. There is a perfection in imperfect imperfect moments, imperfect relationships, imperfect beauty. There is a perfection in there. And rather than bereaving that bit which seems to be lacking, acknowledge that bit which is here. Acknowledge that bit which is beautiful, which is pertinent, which is touching, which is trenchant, which has 
the flavor of fulfillment. Even though we, it, it will not last, or you could imagine it in green a little bit more perfect. Uh, make a point of acknowledging this. Not just the bit that is missing, but the bit that is here. If you want to practice at home, seek a realistic time. Heroic efforts generally don't tend to last very long. And since much of this practice hinges on continuity, in the long run, you're, you're better off if you don't do the heroic number. You know, sacrificing weekends and then after three of them, gradually it becomes too strenuous and then you go back to forgetting it altogether and feeling a little guilty and after a while you... Uh, forget feeling guilty and go fishing or something. Seek a realistic amount of time which you can dedicate to sitting still every day. If you sit still in the morning, the strength of your sitting still will come to the, the work you do during the day. If you sit in the evening, the strength of that sitting will show you the, res- the residue of the day. It will the first part will go into your the kamma aspect, the aspect of action and behavior. It will influence that in a wholesome way. If you meditate in the evening, you will uh, experience the vipaka aspect, the fruition of activities, and you'll be able to sample the residue more profoundly. Both are good. If you dedicate time to sitting, spend at least half of the time available with samatha practice, with practices to still the mind. Don't even start thinking about doing inside practices to start with. You will just end up thinking. You will end up fooling yourself, gaining insight into processes that you actually are just uh, proliferating about. It is absolutely indispensable that you still the mind that you learn to find out how your mind can be settled, how it can be gentled, how it can be down-modulated, if you want, how it can be uh, brought into a deeper trust in its inherent stillness so that you can dive through the discursive crust at the surface. That takes some trust, it takes some tenacity, it takes some courage to not believe what it says on the label yeah, and go for the tin, what's actually in it, what's actually happening there it takes some guts sometimes it's patience, sometimes it's courage sometimes it's tenacity, sometimes it's humility to kind of continue even it seems even though it seems it's not working or it the distractions are uh, seemingly endless remember there is part of you that knows about awakening already you don't need to invent it you need to affirm it you need to call it up to mind you need to evoke it you need to seek it out it's so easy to make to take sides with aspects in ourselves which do not help. People in here which are not our friends. 
ingrained attitudes, internalized authoritarian patterns which uh, are out to blame and shame and denigrate and invalidate. It's important we recognize their voices. Sometimes their voices betray them much more than anything else. I often listen to my thoughts rather than see them or talk to them. I, I listen to their voices. You know, it's a whinging sort of fellow. I know him. Yeah. This is a grumbler. Yeah, I know him. He lives somewhere underneath my kidneys. He's doing a lot of grumbling. He's been doing that for quite a number of years. and I know him. Don't necessarily need to listen what precisely he grumbles. I listen to the sound of his voice and I know him. Uh, I don't need to talk to its content. You don't need to negotiate thoughts individually. You're, it's like fighting off windmills. This is not the point. The point is that you know which ones to trust and which ones not. Trust the ones who are friendly. Not too friendly, by the way. This, some of the naughty ones are quite friendly as well and shouldn't be trusted either. Not everything that is flattering is, by the way, friendly. You know? Don't necessarily trust the reasonable ones. You know, Ignorance can sound very reasonable occasionally, very plausible, very, very rational. Listen to their voice. Don't listen to the message. Listen to the sound. You'll recognize some of the voices. And you will discern which aspect is trustworthy or not trustworthy. Don't negotiate with the ones who are not your friends. Consider the possibility that you carry aspects uh, in your heart, aspects that manifest as voices or as attitudes which are not helpful, which are not true, even though they claim both helpfulness and truth. And the only response that is helpful to those is disbelief, letting go, and the willingness to not contend with them. Non-contention. So many thoughts are not very useful. I don't know how it is for you, but if you sit here and you see the stream of your thoughts, some of this is insightful, and some of this is creative, genuinely original, and most of it, I don't know how much, 95, 98% is not really. It's neither particularly original, nor is it particularly new. Same stale old thought warmed up once more. Nor is it true. And it is possible to let go, to say, okay, I I hear you, but I don't believe you. I hear you, but I don't respond to you. I use the image of the parrot. Old parrot has learned a few words, cursing words. So he keeps doing that. 
You keep hearing him. Every time you go to the veranda, he's kind of doing his number. You warn your visitors. <laughs> you do not believe your parrot. You do not go into a shock mode, frightened, disturbed, consternated. Disaster. No, it's just an old parrot, you know. Fair enough. That's enough. It's enough attention. And you go and give your attention. Make use of your ability to choose what is worthy of your attention. Make that attending to, being aware of, bestowing your uh, mindfulness to. Make that a conscious choice. That is the most precious gift you can give to yourself and you can give to anybody else. Uh, It is no secret. The most precious thing we can do to each other is the quality and the refinement of our attention. Let's not squander that. Time and attention are finite. It may feel like I have endless supply of it, but I don't. So make that choice, make it conscious. You will make blunders, you will make wrong choices, but it's a lot easier to live with the consequence of a wrong choice that you have consciously made than uh, living with the consequences of choices you are not consciously making. If you don't make them consciously, you will always find the temptation to blame somebody or to feign helplessness or ignorance or so the even if our choices are wrong choices if we make them consciously we have a lot better chance of readjusting if you have practiced half of your time available for sitting in silence stilling the mind very clear precise exercise in which you consider an object or a process as your primary meditation object and anything anything else is not to be considered at the time. Anything else is to be treated as a meditational hindrance. Yeah? That means when you notice that you're doing it, you go back to the breath or whatever is the object of your meditation. That is what you do in this half hour, stilling, posture, breath, sensation. After half of the time has elapsed, you open your mind. And instead of labeling anything else from your meditation object, anything aside from your meditation object as as hindrance, you start looking at this more closely. What is really taking place there? What is underneath this? How close can I get before I start to feel dizzy? Before my mind starts to kind of go wobbly. How long can I hold the quiver? How long can I hold the impulse to displace something or to jump into an enacted? You negotiate that distance. You negotiate how close you can go, whether it is really what you think it is. Sometimes you can do that with asking little questions. You know, your mind goes, says something, states in a, a, an emotion. And you just ask, really? Is it really? Oh, how so? You just kind of go, look, ask, throw a question in the pond 
And then don't think about it, but you kind of go and listen. Yeah. What happens? The thing about a good question is not the answer to get you get. The thing about a good question is the space that opens up behind a question, a genuine question. A space of deeper listening. A space of acknowledged not knowing. That is often the place where you are much closer to a deepening of understanding than when producing a clever answer. If you find that this takes away your collectedness of mind, if you find that you are thinking, you have to go back to your stilling technique. You have to go back to your samatha exercise. You may need to shuttle. You go in, you find you've lost your plot, you go back to the breath. You continue stilling your mind for a moment, and then you try again. Try again and see, bring up a situation that is particularly challenging, or an event, or skim the dominant emotional tone and say, okay, we park the rest, we go and look at this, what is in there? This feels hurt, this feels slighted, this feels injured. Can I be with this? Rather than turn it into a meditation obstacle, as you would have in your samatha period, you now deliberately go to the things that stop your mind from further concentrating. You inquire. Sometimes it's easiest to go to go close. There's much to be said about the visual metaphor. You know, the wisdom teachings in Buddhist tradition use a lot of visual metaphor, insight, uh, observing, uh, seeing through, this kind of thing. Yeah. Sometimes the visual metaphor is not helpful. Visual metaphor always implies distance. That's what we do with eyes. We gain perspective. We gain relief. We, yeah, we can be quite distant from, distant from things we see. If you want to inquire and investigate, the metaphor for relationship is sometimes better if you go and listen. Yeah, rather than seeing something, you go and listen to something. Or you go and sit with something. You go and sit with your anger. You find out where does your anger live somewhere, the pit of your stomach or in your belly or in your throat. And then you go and sit with your anger. Go and visit the throat, sit with your anger together of the bench, on the bench. You don't need to talk, just sit with your, your anger. Sit in your throat together with your anger and feel how it feels sitting beside your anger. See whether it is possible that this anger begins to dissolve, to change. If you notice that you start thinking, then you have lost the collectedness necessary. You go back to the breath. Experiment with this. You will need a good chunk of your time dedicated to stillness. And however good or however bad your stillness is, Uh, I hope you hear the quotes there. Um, You will need to open up and relate 
to this experience, not just in terms of a meditational obstacle stopping you from deepening your stillness. You will need to relate to that experience also as a legitimate expression of your state of being right now. That means however much you think this shouldn't be there or you feel your loins are still not well girded to meet that, you need to somehow establish a relationship with that part of you. And you go closer, a little closer, respectfully. You negotiate. You see what happens if you go closer to you, to your mind, to your stillness. And you see whether you can tolerate greater closeness. Whether in that greater proximity it starts to tell you something about you or itself that you don't that you didn't know. Yeah? Whether it reveals, whether it peels off something. Experience says that this is a shuttling exercise. Usually people have to go back and forth. They get reeled in. Yeah? The very kilesa that you try to understand is suddenly sitting in your neck. And rather than you chasing it, it's chasing you. The very uh, issue in your life that you were seeking to investigate and elucidate by the power of your insight uh, propels your thought processes right now. Once you acknowledge this, you say, okay, that was too close. I've lost my plot here. Go back to the breath, back to the posture. It's doable. Uh, there is no squeaky clean way doing this. Yeah. You will get you will get your hands dirty in this. There's no way about this. Yeah. You will not stay with a pristine, unshakable samadhi and do this. Yeah. But the point is not to cultivate a pristine, unshakable samadhi. The point is to get a, an understanding of what's happening in your life. Yeah. That's a lot more important. If you do get clean and unshakable samadhi, by all means take it. It's great stuff. Yeah. But don't wait to start looking at your issues before you, yeah, before you have all jhanas capable at a finger snap. Help yourself in your daily life with ritual. If you find Buddhist ritual helpful, do that. If you find Buddhist iconography, statues helpful, do that. If you sit, sit at the same place. Try to sit at the same time. It helps you. It ritualizes this experience. Sitting in a space of not knowing with oneself is not an easy thing. So help help yourself as much as you can with this. There is plenty of teaching, plenty of possibilities that you, probably as the first generation, have access to. Most of the people whom who are teachers, who are our teachers, are, will have probably had less access to Buddhist teaching or meditational teachings than you have. Yeah? There is a wealth and an abundance here. Buddhism is uh, flourishing and uh, very interesting things are happening. You know, Buddhist traditions have actually started meeting each other. You know, While for centuries some have been on their islands and others behind their mountains, they've actually started to meet each other and they talk. Yeah? 
And often enough, they talk on our ground here in Europe, in America, in the West. And um, much good work has been done. People translating on many levels, translating texts, translating understandings, translating practices into the various cultures. Um, so this is a good time to be practicing. It, it is a very fascinating time. This is a good moment. You're privileged. Yeah. Be compassionate with others. Do not hide what you have understood. Avail yourself of the facilities in teaching. Uh, look after Look after those teachings. If you can, support with your time, your effort, your money, your energy, your intelligence. Support the pursuit of these teachings and the institutions and the people who are dedicated to this. Um, come back. Come back to where, where, where it grows for you. Yeah? You know better where this is. I wish you well. I would just love to end and do a little chant, a little uh, Buddhist chant, and um, then I will strike the gong and we'll change postures. Karaniya mata gusalena yandang sandang padang abhisame jasako udju jasudju jasuvajo jasamundu anatimani sandu sako jasubaro japagidjo jasallau kavuti santindri ojanipako japagabo Kulesu ananugido anajakundang samajare kinjiye na vinyu pare upavade yung sukino agemi no hondu sambe sadaba wandu sukitata yekeji pana buta tita sawa tawarawa anavasesa digawa ye mahantava manjima Rasaka nukatula dindava yeja dinda yeja dure vasandi avidure bhutava sambave siva sambe sada pavandu sukitata naparo parang nikube tanati manye Nanya manya sadu gami jaya matayataniang putang Ayusaye kaputamandurake vampi samba bute sumana samba waye aparimanang metanja sabalo kasaming mana samba waye aparimanang undang adojatirianja samba. Dang averang asapatang di tanjar 
Safe travels. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.